Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you on this Monday morning, June 6th. We continue our devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus this month, and we do so in prayer this morning with our morning offering. And again, I I love this prayer to the wounded heart of Jesus, so we're going to pray that as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father, amen. O my most loving and gentle Jesus, I desire with all the affections of my heart that all beings should praise thee, honor thee, and glorify thee eternally for that sacred wound wherewith thy divine side was rent. I deposit, enclose, conceal in that wound, and in that opening in thy heart, my heart, and all my feelings, thoughts, desires, intentions, and all the faculties of my soul. I entreat thee by the precious blood and water that flowed from thy most loving heart, to take entire possession of me, that thou may guide me in all things, consume me in the burning fire of thy holy love, so that I may be so absorbed and transformed into thee that I may no longer be but one with thee. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, it's good to be with you on this Monday morning. I hope you had a wonderful Pentecost weekend. It was beautiful to go to Mass this weekend, and we heard a wonderful homily about uh, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and how we can put them into practice in our lives and how we shouldn't be afraid to go out into the world. And, and Father was talking about how the apostles and the disciples, they, they were afraid, and then they received the Holy Spirit and they went out. And I always love the first reading on Pentecost Sunday when they go out and There are all these different people from these different lands speaking different languages, and yet Peter goes out and starts preaching, and everyone hears him in their own native tongue. And then they're saying among themselves, are we not all of these different people, and yet we each hear him? And I wonder how they figured that out, by the way. I wonder how they figured that out, that they were each hearing them in their own native tongue. But you know what? It's still a beautiful thing to reflect upon. And the whole point is we've got these gifts that we received in our confirmation. Let's go out and use them. Wishing the church a very happy birthday. Uh, You know, Pentecost is regarded as the birthday of the church. And as we concluded the, well, we we bring to a conclusion the Easter season, I do want to congratulate all those who received the Sacrament of Confirmation yesterday. I know many adults uh, who have been preparing for confirmation received it yesterday on the Feast of Pentecost, and many of our students and young people have received the sacrament. And uh, I also want to say a word of congratulations to all of our new ordinands, um, all of our new fathers here in the church who have been ordained in the past week or so. I know we had two men here in St. Louis, one man recently in the Diocese of Belleville, uh, I believe two in the Diocese of Springfield, um, and beyond. I, I know there were some men ordained in Springfield and Cape Girardeau, and I apologize for not having done a better job of putting a list together, but do pray for them, and, and congratulations to them, but most importantly, we should pray for them because they have given their lives to serve the church, and that's you and I, and let's pray that uh, God continues to work great things through their ministry and through their priesthood. 
I woke up at I don't know what time this morning, and I had a very vivid dream, and I immediately thought I'd like to share it with you this morning. And in the dream, I remember I was talking with friends, and we were talking about Marian apparitions. And then before us, there was an image from one of the Marian apparitions that changed right before our eyes. Now, I'm not saying I had an apparition by any means. This was very, very clearly a dream. But the words that came um, before us in, in this very strange dream were frequency, 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 three times. And I, I know it was in the context of talking about the rosary, but it was frequency, frequency, frequency. And then just as I, I was realizing in the dream that this was about the importance of praying the rosary. Frequently, there was a jolt of thunder, and I woke up startled. And I, I honestly couldn't tell if it was actually storming outside or if this was the dream. And, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, if this was an, an intentional distraction to pull me away from this dream about the rosary. I don't know. But I do know this. I, I, I was up at that point. And I started meditating about this and just saying, all right, Lord, this has been a strange dream, but, uh, you know, you sent Joseph in the Old Testament to interpret dreams. I could use his help right now. Um, and I couldn't help but think of if there was one thing about the word frequency being repeated three times, it was just a reminder for me about the importance of praying the rosary frequently, daily. And I was looking back at some things, and, you know, I've been on a uh, – I've been on a, a pretty good streak here with some of the things I normally struggle with. And for a while, I was getting a little conceited and thinking, oh, Adam, you're doing a good job. Give yourself a little pat on the back here. And then I realized that, you know, when did this change? Well, this changed when I started praying the rosary more and more frequently. And so the, uh, the lesson is don't stop praying the rosary. Pray it every day. So I just thought I'd share that with you this morning. On the show today, we're going to be talking about the Most Holy Eucharist, our Lord Jesus Christ, present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Here's uh, an interesting thought for you. You know, God, we say that God is present everywhere because he affects everything. He, he's pure spirit and he does affect everything. But you think about that. He's not physically present um, as, as you and I are right? And yet, he, he doesn't occupy space or time. He transcends that. And yet, our Lord in his humility is sacramentally present, occupying space and time in the most humble of ways, inside what appears to be a little wafer of bread, but really is our Lord in a ciborium, in a tabernacle, in a church near you. So we're going to be talking about uh, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith with Monsignor Morris this morning. And then we're also going to talk with Father Kirby later in the show. He has some thoughts for us about Holy Communion and the fervor that we had when we were young people, uh, maybe not so young, receiving our first Holy Communion. So that's on the show today. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. But before we get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. Today is the memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church. 
In the fourth century, St. Ambrose of Milan first referred to the Blessed Mother as the Mother of the Church, but somehow the title and reference became lost and unused until the 20th century when it was rediscovered by a German Jesuit, Hugo Rahner, and his older brother, Karl. Then, in 1964, as he was closing the third session of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI, in his Credo of the People, made the title official, saying, We declare Mary the most holy mother of the church, that is, of all Christian people. St. Pope John Paul II placed this memorial in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and Pope Francis added it to the Roman calendar. Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Catechist for you this morning. Our catechist question is somewhat related to yesterday's Feast of Pentecost, but also related to the upcoming Feast of Corpus Christi and this coming Sunday's Feast, Trinity Sunday. So here it is for you. In the Eucharistic prayer, there is a particular moment in which the priest invokes the Holy Spirit to come down upon our offerings of bread and wine so that they may be transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that moment called? The moment where the Holy Spirit is invoked to come down upon our offerings of bread and wine? Well, I'll tell you, if you don't know the answer, it's the epiclesis. It's the epiclesis. This is one of those things that as we were preparing our daughter for her first Holy Communion earlier this year, we talked about that. And in many places, if they still use the consecration bells, you'll hear the bells ring three times in the Eucharistic prayer. Uh, Obviously, when both the host and the chalice are elevated after the transubstantiation, after the bread becomes our Lord, after the wine becomes his blood, body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the Eucharist, right? Uh, but the first time you'll hear those bells ring is actually at the epiclesis. You'll see Father extend his hands over the offerings of bread and wine, and he will call down the Holy Spirit. So that. Part of the Mass has a name. It is the epiclesis. It's a Greek word for invoking the Holy Spirit. Here's a little fun fact for you, by the way. Not really a fun fact. It's a, it's a fun reality. You know, um, When we think about the Holy Trinity, and yesterday we celebrated Pentecost, and this coming Sunday we celebrate Trinity Sunday, when we look at the most, uh, you know, for me, the most important moment of the Mass, the Eucharistic prayer, where these humble gifts we offer of bread and wine become our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I can't say that enough today. Uh, This whole process invokes the entire Trinity because the Eucharistic prayer is prayed to who or to whom? To God the Father through Jesus. The whole prayer is made through our Lord Jesus Christ in unity with the Holy Spirit, and in fact, during the prayer, we ask the Holy Spirit to come down. So it's really a beautiful thing. Um, You know, it's so easy to focus on our Lord Jesus Christ present in the Most Holy Eucharist, but we have to remember that our Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three are integral to this bread and wine becoming 
so fantastic and so miraculous a gift for us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to take a little break here. When we come back, we'll be talking with Monsignor Eugene Morris about the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Once again, we are on the road. We're always happy to be talking with Monsignor Eugene Morris, Rector of the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. Monsignor, it's good to see you again. Adam, it's always good, and thank you for being on the road and willing to come to me. I appreciate it. Whatever it takes. I mean, it's the roadmap to heaven. I'm happy to make a pit stop here and there, and if I can come to the oratory, then it's a good day. Now, the last time we were together was during the Marian Conference, yes. and we were talking about the Eucharist and why it is a mortal sin to receive the Eucharist while in a state of grave sin, the sin of sacrilege. Today we're going to talk about something completely different. It's one of those things that we have learned in school or in our religious formation, I hope. We say this all of the time, but I think it's time for a refresher. We refer to the Eucharist as the source and the summit. But what does that mean? So that phrase finds its way into the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I believe it's paragraph 1323 or 1324, in its opening paragraphs in describing the Eucharist as a source and summit. That is a direct quote actually from the Second Vatican Council, which goes on to say in expanding that, that the Most Holy Eucharist is the wellspring from which all of the graces in the life of the church flow, and the reality to which all of the things that the church engages is leading. So, to be more concrete, we come from the Eucharist and we're going to the Eucharist. And in one sense, it's a beautiful phrase precisely because it reflects not only the centrality of Christ in the life of the church, but it also reflects our Eucharistic faith. We believe, obviously, as Catholic men and women, that our Lord is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. As such, everything about who we are comes from Him, and everything about who we want to be also leads us back to Him. I would think that if you push me and ask me if this is probably the most, for me, one of the most profound phrases— because the Church says in the Second Vatican Council documents that everything, that everything about the Church, what she teaches, what she does apostolically, what she does in terms of evangelization, begins and ends and comes to fruition through the Eucharist. This is why, if I can harken back just a little bit to what we were touching on at the Marian Conference and what I tried to get across in my talk, is that the Church's teachings on how one's disposition should be in receiving Holy Communion is not to impede anyone from going. Quite the opposite. We would want the whole world to be able to receive our Lord. But we know there are criteria that must be in place, and the criteria grow out of what it is that we actually teach. If this is God, and the Eucharist is the Lord, then we have to behave a certain way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, period. I think of the term Holy Communion, which we use. That's how we say we're receiving the Eucharist. We're receiving Holy Communion. And the end goal of life is to be in eternal communion with God. And so I think of purgatory, that you know, purgatory is a time of cleansing, that if you have any of the uh, consequences of sin, you've been forgiven, you've received absolution, but there's still consequence um, that has to be 
Adjudicated. Adjudicated. That's a great word there. Yes. We're going to play some Scrabble later <laughs> you, you, before you can be in communion with our Lord. And so I think of the sacrament of reconciliation, that before I can receive our Lord in holy communion, I must be cleansed. I must receive absolution. And so our Lord even gives us the means to take care of that when we are in a state of grave sin. Now, to go geographic here for a moment, one of my favorite places in the world, Monsignor, is Manitou Springs, Colorado, just south of Colorado Springs. Okay. And there are seven natural springs there. And so when we say source and summit, you know, when you go through Manitou Springs, they actually have markers where all of the springs are, and that is the source of all of the water flowing in the creeks through the town. So I think of that. That is where the water, which we need water to live. But then I also think of driving a short distance away to Pikes Peak and going up to the summit. So if I understand everything you're saying correctly, every grace that we could hope to receive first and foremost comes to us through the Holy Eucharist. Correct. And then the summit, as we were saying, the term Holy Communion is to be an eternal communion with God and more than receiving him in our bodies through consuming him, that that is the summit that we are trying to climb to. Yes. And I would just offer a little bit of a clarification, because the beauty of theology is it is precise, that truly all graces come through Christ. So that would be also those graces that are attached to the other sacraments as well. But oftentimes I think what's confusing for people is because baptism is the first sacrament received, there is a natural preeminence placed on it because that's the means by which you get into the church. But even the church herself has reflected on that, and the early church did, and very clearly understood that, yes, that is true in terms of a chronology of events that must unfold. The the very foundation of baptism is also the most holy Eucharist, because Christ, we know, is the source of all grace, and because he is the source of all grace, he has left us the gift of himself so that we might have access to he who is the source of all grace. The beauty of this, Adam, and, and, and I, I love talking with you because um, I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever told you this, every time that we talk together, what we talk about becomes part of my prayer that day, not intentionally. I just find myself beautifully motivated by all of our conversations, which you know better than I, have been varied. Adam gives me a topic, sometimes I don't know until he walks in here, and we just start talking. That, that for me is a, a deeper reflection of, and we've talked about this as well, the, the, the cohesiveness of our faith. Because as complex as it is and as dense as it can be theologically, um, God is the only one that can hold all of this together. And when you begin to see how it beautifully fits together, you can't think of anything else except the mind of God revealed and become incarnate in the life of his church. So... Sorry about that. That was a that was a tangent to this topic. Excuse me. We recently concluded the Easter season, so we're now in the month of June, getting ready for the feast of Corpus Christi, the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord. Um, but in that Easter season, I think of this term. It's an old term. Our Easter duty that once a year we are obliged to confess all mortal sins and receive Holy Communion. Now I can't help but think. Why would anyone only want to receive our Lord in Holy Communion? But let's talk about that for a second, because there have been times in my life, especially back when I worked as a parish music director, that I would need to get to confession and 
through the logistics of five kids working weekends and Saturday afternoons. Sadly, there were times I couldn't get to confession, so I would not receive our Lord that particular weekend, and I had a longing in my heart. Why is it so important for us? I I know that we, we often say, even if you're in a state of grave sin, the commandment is to go to Mass. That's the obligation, is to go to Mass, not to receive our Lord. But why is it so important to endeavor to be in that state of grace and frequently receive our Lord in Holy Communion? So I think I would I would probably tweak just a little bit the use of the word frequency, because that's really kind of a modern development. And again, modern in the last 125, 130 years. Modern is a, is a different phrase in the Catholic Church. But this emphasis on frequent communion... Um, which, of course, we know kind of comes to us in, in a very concrete way through Pius X's exhortation for the reception of Holy Communion and lowering the age of the reception of Holy Communion. But what was revealed to us, especially during the lockdown, was a misconception, and again, I'm going to get to your question, but the misconception about that relationship between Holy Mass and the reception of Holy Communion, and really a neglecting of the Church's history that for a long time in her history, people did not receive frequently, precisely because they knew that they were in various stages of sin and therefore unworthy to go, while still fulfilling, though, the obligation to be present at Holy Mass. So how do we parse all this out? Well, two things. One, that the act of going to Mass in and of itself is praiseworthy. And even if one, for whatever reason, sin, uh, irregular marriage, maybe just to increase one's devotion doesn't go, you're still accessing and involved in grace. And actually, the graces of the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass literally resound throughout the whole world. Thomas speaks about the beauty of that when he talks about a a, a multiplicity of Masses being celebrated. But then, with that kind of as a backdrop, participating in the sacrifice and the graces that come from that, We know that the grace of the sacrifice of the cross, which we are engaged in in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, are meant to bring us into communion with the very one who brings about our reconciliation, our communion with our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. So we want to be in a state of grace to further actualize, if you will, the fullness of what is being celebrated. The Paschal mystery, the passion, death, glorious resurrection of our Lord, was effected in order that we might be reconciled with the Father and live with him in the perfect harmony that he desires for us. Holy Communion, again, is God's way of making that manifest for us, and we want, to the degree that we are able, to participate in that. And so, if one can't, one should still be there, not just solely out of the duty or the obligation, although there's nothing wrong with either of those, but because of the graces that come from the sacrifice. But it, again, it's, it's um, in one sense, I, I'm trying to think of a, of a secular reality, but I guess it'd be like going to a concert. I mean, sometimes you just want to be in the concert hall, it doesn't matter where you sit. But there is something that intensifies the experience. This is music, not theater. And you know this as a musician, that intensifies the experience when you're sitting second, third row, as opposed to being in the balcony. If all you can get is tickets in the balcony, then you're great. You're happy to just be there. But if you can, you want to be in that second, third row. Now, again, that's a that limps a little bit, so forgive me. But to help people kind of understand that, what what's happening there. 
So far, our discussion has been concentrated on receiving our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, but I think as we wrap up, I turn to this beautiful prayer that we have, the Anima Christi, Mm -hmm. soul of Christ, sanctify me, body of Christ, save me, blood of Christ, inebriate me, water from Christ's side, wash me, passion of Christ, strengthen me, and and so on. It's, It's such a beautiful prayer, and it makes me think of, and I wish I could remember who said this, but if you went to the Adoration Chapel... And the monstrance contained just an ounce of uranium or or some other radioactive element. They would say, oh, we've got to check you over. You're probably irradiated. We need to get the the meters out and, and see the effect it's had on your body. Well, luckily, the monstrance does not have radioactive material in it, but it does contain our Lord. And they said, how much more does being in the presence of our Lord affect us than if just the tip of the monstrance was uranium? And I wonder if we could close up talking about that, that, you know, we often say, maybe come to Mass a little bit early. Medical science teaches us that when we consume something, it stays in our stomach for about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So when we consume our Lord, he is within us for about 15 minutes before the the matter breaks down. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the benefit for us of spending that time, not just in prayer at home, but in the Adoration Chapel or in the church with our Lord present in the tabernacle? That's a very good question because, of course, it's developed where we talk about prayer now and, you know, because in one sense to encourage people to pray, we say, you know, ultimately pray, pray wherever you find yourself, which is a true statement. But I always say, and it was very um, prone to saying this when I was a younger priest, it's always better to pray in the presence of the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Is your prayer better? I don't know if it's a question of your prayer being better. But since prayer is described in a variety of different ways, conversation with God, surge of our heart to God, mind and heart to God, what better way to do that than to be in the presence of God? So I love going to the ocean. I love bodies of water. I love lakes. I love gulfs. I love it. And those can be, if you will, prayerful experiences for me. But there's no guarantee that's going to happen. And because that same body of water could end up being violent or being, you know, death-dealing because of something happening. If I want the Lord, I know where to find him. And so that prayer in the presence of God makes, again, concrete the invitation that he's given to us to be in relationship with him. Um, And I love the Anima Christi precisely because it is this complete being enveloped by God totally. Uh, which is what we want. We want to be consumed in, again, in the act of consummation. You see how it just it, it all just flips and comes back. It's multi-layered and yet it's moving forward. It, it, it it's just profound what God has provided us. And, and the Eucharist, I think, of all the sacraments, because of its complexity, is the one to which we can go to, obviously, again and again and again. Anyone who knows me knows that I have great love for. The traditional forms of worship that our church has given us and handed down through the centuries, I, I find it to be beautiful. But they also know that I have a fondness for contemporary Christian music. And I think of a contemporary Christian song I heard about 10, 15 years ago from the inside out. Lord, transform me from the inside out. And I say, well, we already have that song. That's the Anima Christi. That's yeah. that prayer. And I think that's the beauty of, of saying, Lord, don't change me from the outside in, but actually work from my heart and, and change me so that I can go out to the world. And as, as we say in the Mass at the end, the deacon or the priest admonishes us, go yes. and bring the gospel to the world. Correct. And the gospel that you're carrying, which is you, and the gospel that you're going to become, which is also you. 
Well, Monsignor, I think this has been a great discussion for us. I know we're going to be talking about the Eucharist a lot this month of June, but I want to thank you for starting us off here. As always, could I ask you for a prayer for our listeners? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for the blessings you bestow upon us, most especially the gift of the Most Holy Eucharist. We pray by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that through prayer, fasting, we may be more completely configured to our Eucharistic Lord that knowing that as we die with him, we also live with him and share these graces and blessings with the whole world. We ask this prayer and all of our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and once again, we're happy to be talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby, pastor of Our Lady of Grace in Indian Land, South Carolina. Father, we've got a a joyful topic this morning, one that I wish we could have gotten to uh, a month or so ago, but, you know, we had some important things to talk about the last two times you were with us. Today, we're going to talk about Holy Communion, and this was a great year for our family because our third of five received her first Holy Communion and then her second and third and fourth and so on. And Father, I remember just the joy of that day. All of the children dressed in their their beautiful dresses and the boys in their suits and ties and the excitement. We're receiving our first Holy Communion. They were so ready and so much in awe of what was about to happen. And I think to myself, Adam, why are you not like that every time you go to Mass? <laughs> Our Lord himself comes to us in such a humble form in the Blessed Sacrament. Why Why do you not have the awe? Father, how do we get the awe back? Yes, and, and, um, I'll tell you, even as a priest, like I'm, I'm sometimes uh, feel the challenge. Uh, you know, Pope St. Paul VI said uh, to priests, um, celebrate every Mass as if it is your first, your last, and your only Mass. And, and so even as the celebrant, you know, sometimes having to dig deep and say, I, I, I want to be present, I, I want to be aware of what's happening, I want to give my heart to this. So, so I'll tell you, uh, this discernment, this challenge, uh, that happens on both sides of the altar, right? And, uh, and how do we, we keep that zeal? How do we have that uh, attentive devotion that we want? And we love the Lord, we know what He's done for us, we, we know He's present to us in, in, in the Blessed Sacrament. And, and Adam, in terms of answering the question, I would say first let's start with the externals. Uh, you know, they're subordinate, they're less than, than the spiritual, but, but let's talk about them. I tell you, if, if, if we're not dressing for worship, right, then we're telling ourselves this is just something mundane, right? So, so if I'm wearing the same clothes to worship that I'm wearing throughout the week, then I'm telling myself, by the way I'm dressing, that this is not important. This is not unique. This is not the most important thing I'm doing all week. But we know, actually, it is the most important thing. So the first thing I would say is, you know, as a faithful, to, to kind of challenge ourselves. Like, how are we preparing for worship, even in terms of how we physically dress? So I think that, you know, the, the, the traditional notion of our Sunday best, uh, that had its place. So first I would say just, you know, how we prepare our bodies, how we dress. Also, I think... In terms of preparing for worship, so are we looking at the readings beforehand, or are we, you know, trying to do some type of spiritual reading? You know, we, are we observing Eucharistic fast? You know, so that's, you know, only medicine and water an hour before the reception of Holy Communion, and, and that's that's the minimum. You know, so if a Christian family or a Christian believer wants to go even more, uh, certainly they can observe a longer fast, and that can be a part 
uh, of the preparation. So I think so much of it is is what we bring as we are heading to the parish church uh, to participate in Mass. And, of course, the, the spiritual parts. Uh, we want to make sure that we're in a state of grace. So we find ourselves either in grave sin or, or just with a lot of deliberate venial sins that have kind of just weakened our soul. We want to make a good confession. We also want to make sure, again, that we, we are preparing ourselves for worship. And we want to make sure we get there a little early. You know, we can't rush in two minutes before Mass and think somehow we're, somehow we're going to have the peace of mind and heart to, to be at Calvary, right, you know? Um, so I think that's spiritual preparation. And then I think during the Mass we say, you know what, I'm going to leave my to-do list and, 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 and my you know, concerns and anxieties and leave them at the door. You know, I, I used to like to start Mass telling people that, leave, leave your problems, your worries at the door. Don't worry, they're going to wait for you when we're done, okay? Like, you're not getting rid of them, right? But for the next hour, just let yourself encounter the living God. Incidentally, and that's why we bless ourselves with holy water when we enter the parish church. We're reminding ourselves of our baptism, but we're also making a physical you know, action. We're reminding ourselves, I'm entering a holy place. So the things of my life, I can, I can put them out here for now. So I can be with God, I can be rejuvenated, I can find His strength, I can find some type of renewal, so that I can come back and then readdress the concerns, the worries, the hardships of life with renewed vigor. As you say all of this, Father, I think back to Lent of 2021, where I was going to give up my iPhone for Lent, and I went and I bought a, a cheapo flip phone, and at the time, they said, you know, if you add a line for this phone, you don't have to, but if you add a line for this phone, it'll save you actually probably 30 bucks a month off your monthly payment. So I said, do it. And I've been wondering, what am I going to do with this phone that's been sitting around? Adam, where are you going with this? Everybody's probably saying. I thought recently, you know, when Beth and I go out for date night as a married couple, we spend far too much time looking at our phones. And I thought we should just leave our phones aside and bring this flip phone with us as the emergency line. And if I would do that for date night, Father, which I think, by the way, that would make a, a recipe for a very good date night to take the distractions away from one another in our marriage for that period of time, I better be ready to turn my phone off before I even go into the church on Sunday. Because if I would do that for my wife but not for our Lord, then I probably need to reexamine some priorities. And I'm thinking, as you say that as well, Father, that, I mean, what am I playing? Am I playing the radio in the car? As I drive to Mass. And if we are listening to the radio or music, what are we listening to? Is it getting us ready for what's about to happen, or is it completely opposite of what's about to happen? That's something else to to look at as well. Yes. I was going to say, Adam, and those small things, too, uh, for a family to evaluate, for, for parents to discern, uh, you know, there are so many ways in which we can prepare for worship and, and, and again, have that active devotion that we want when we celebrate Mass, participate in the Mass, when we receive Holy Communion. And, and I would encourage every family to, to ask those hard questions. And, and parents shouldn't be surprised if the children have some really great ideas, right? especially about what the parents can do. Yeah. I just think these small things are, are, are so encouraging. And the fact that you know, a Christian or a Christian home would ask that you know, just shows that hunger and thirst for, for, for holiness. Well, it wouldn't be a conversation with you, Father, if we didn't go to the treasury of prayers and devotions that we have in the Church. And Someone once said to me that, that biologically speaking, when we consume our Lord in Holy Communion, that the host breaks down over a period of about 15 minutes. So for 15 minutes, we literally are a living tabernacle of our Lord. And 
I can't help but think we should be spending that time in prayer. So whether it's the prayers that conclude the Mass after we receive Holy Communion and some silent prayer in church, what are some of those other prayers that we could pray after Mass for this period of time while our Lord literally dwells within our bodies? Yes, yes. I'll tell you, Adam, I actually learned uh, the custom of staying after Mass, as you're describing. When I was a student uh, a couple decades ago <laughs> at Franciscan University of Steubenville, because at the Masses then and now, when the Masses conclude, they dim the lights. And if you can imagine an entire congregation of young people just kneeling in prayer. So no one's running out after Mass. No one's you know, scurrying along to try to you know, get to the parking lot and so on. But there's just that, that time of prayer, and it actually mold, shaped and molded me just in terms of my own understanding. So I think in terms of some of the prayers that can be offered is, you know, someone's looking for a devotion that they might be more familiar with, they can pray the glorious mysteries of the rosary. And of course, there are, are beautiful acts of thanksgiving from some of our, our greatest saints. Thomas Aquinas has some beautiful acts of thanksgiving that can be offered after Mass. And, of course, there's other devotions that we can look at in, in terms of, of manual of prayers and, and, and prayer books, in which Adam used to be very popular among Catholics. You could see people come to Mass, they'd have their Roman missiles, they'd be full of devotions, they'd have their own little devotional books or, or prayer books on top of that. And, and we have those out there. It's just, unfortunately, along the line, as Catholics, we just stopped using them. But I think maybe having a favorite novena to a saint that you know, for a petition that might be pressing in, in, in your life at, at, at a particular time. So I, I think there, you know, the, the, the choices are abundant uh, in terms of, of the spiritual treasure of the Church, and those are just a few that I want to throw out there. Uh, the big thing is just to have a family start. At my parish church, we conclude the Mass as a community with the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. It's my small attempt to at least to have the faithful stay for a couple 30 seconds after Mass, to just understand like, our call to worship, our, our, our devotion to the Lord, doesn't end at Mass. You, you know, and I, I think this is funny, Adam. Some people think they're doing a great favor to the Lord because they're staying for the final blessing. <laughs> you know? They're like, well, at least I'm not leaving anymore, you know, at communion. Right? <laughs> like, okay, that's progress, but we need to do a little bit more, right? So... The idea, if we can retrieve that idea in our minds and our hearts, that there should be some type of prayer and reflection after Mass before we head out. I mean, and that's the most important thing we do all week. And I think we just have to keep reminding ourselves of that. This is the most important thing I'm doing all week. Like, this merits a couple extra minutes after Mass to just say thank you and to allow the Eucharistic presence of the Lord to be completely consumed. So I think this is spot on, and the way more and more I pray that we are thinking as believers, and, and especially as we want to hold that devotion to our Eucharistic Lord. Well, last time you were with us, Father, we talked about how living a Christian life is a hard thing to do. And friends, I, I have to tell you, as a father of five who spent most, well, really for the beginning 10 years of my oldest child's life as the parish organist and not being at Mass with them, you know, being in the same church building at the same Mass, but not really being with my family. It was very recent that I got thrown in headfirst into what are we going to do as a family when we go to Mass together on Sundays. And everything Father's saying 
it took us a while to build up, to stay and pray. And then we go for a walk. The parish grounds uh, where we go are actually right by a national park. So we walk through the park most Sundays after Mass when the weather permits. And then we always try to go to early Mass because we keep that Eucharistic fast from the time we wake up in the morning until after Mass. And then we celebrate. Breakfast on Sunday is—if Mass is the biggest deal, breakfast on Sunday is the second biggest deal for us (laughs) on Sunday. And that's a beautiful thing. So take heart. Maybe start with something small this coming Sunday and build upon that, and you'll find yourself there in no time. Father, could I ask for a prayer for us to recover our awe of our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament? Absolutely. Let, let, let us pray. Father, you are loving and all-compassionate. You bless us with the presence of your Son, who continually endures among us. We are no longer orphans. We are your children. You teach us this by the presence of your Son, our Lord, among us. We ask that you move our hearts, help us to more deeply understand and value and cherish his presence among us. May you fill our hearts always with a sense of awe and wonder that He is here, He is still among us. And we ask, Almighty God, that you allow your face to be shown to your children, that you bless them with your peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. We will be back after this. Well, here we are on Monday, ready for a new daily dose of encouragement. And, Patty, this was so great because last week we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and then yesterday was Pentecost, and how wonderful is this? So what do you have for us this week? Well, this week we're going to talk about really the crux of the matter is how to discern if an inspiration is from the Holy Spirit or not. Some people call this discernment of spirits. I'm taking my thoughts for this week, uh, continuing from last week, from the book from Jacques Philippe, which is called In the School of the Holy Spirit. It's a short little book. I recommend it to everyone. And it really does help us to evaluate, to discern, to learn about how to recognize and then act upon whether something is from the Holy Spirit or not. So the first thing is that the Holy Spirit cannot, will not, ever in his inspirations, ask for anything that contradicts his will as expressed by divine word of God, meaning the scriptures, sacred scriptures, anything in the Bible, it's never, the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Bible, the teachings of the church, or the demands of our vocation. So a divine inspiration is never going to ask me to commit an act or to do something that the church considers immoral. It will never happen. The Holy Spirit will never inspire someone. It's not from the Holy Spirit to commit suicide, to murder a person, to have an abortion. I mean, all these hot-button issues that our church teaches are intrinsically evil. If someone says, well, I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do this. No, it's not from the Holy Spirit. That's from ourselves. That's from the world or from the flesh. So St. Francis de Sales says this, when God puts inspirations into a heart, the first he gives is obedience. So anything that we are evaluating, the first thing to ask ourselves is, is this obedient to the teachings of the church? Is this in conformity with the word of God as revealed in sacred scripture? Is this in conformity with my vocation and the demands of my vocation? So the Holy Spirit will never ask us to contradict that. That's a really good starting place for us because I've long wondered, how do we discern where the Holy Spirit is leading us. And and to know that we start with obedience, the Holy Spirit will not lead us to contradict the will of God. That's a really good starting point, Patty. Thanks for sharing that with us today. 
We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven on this Monday morning, May 6th. Or not May 6th, it's June 6th. I'm uh, sending us back in time, putting the kids back in school if I say it's May. It's June, and this week we are getting ready for Trinity Sunday. Now, one of the things that I, I've been debating is how do we talk about the Holy Trinity here on the show? Because the Holy Trinity is what many would say uh, describe as an ineffable mystery. As much as we think we can explain the Holy Trinity, we can't. We can't. You know, we can explain a lot about the Holy Trinity, but it, it's one of those things that at the end of the day, every explanation I could give you, every analogy I could give you is going to fall short. But I often think of this beautiful mosaic. If, if you're ever privileged to see it, it's, it's difficult to see in the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. It's actually on the... Um, it's underneath the Baldacchino and immediately above the altar. And imagine, if you will, a circle, and then in the center of the circle is the word Deus in a triangle. And then stemming forth from each of the three points of the triangle are bars that go out to three points on the circle. And the three points are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the bar between the triangle where it says Deus, God, and Father, it says est, you know, pater est Deus. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But then between Father and Son or Father and Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit and Son on the circle, it will say non est. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct persons, but one God. And they're not three parts of God. They're not three phases of God. They are one God. Now, to try and go on, that's where I'm going to come off the rails here. So I'm just going to tell you, as we we think about the Holy Trinity this week, Don't get too caught up in it. And I know we we were talking all day today about the Eucharist, but I do want us to keep in mind that Holy Trinity, uh, Trinity Sunday is coming up, and it's one of those things, you know, how do we describe it? Well, we fall short every time we do. I also have a, a fun little anecdote. We've been talking about the Eucharist this morning and the Feast of Corpus Christi. It's, it's a beautiful feast that comes to us actually from the year 1264. Pope Urban IV instituted the Feast of Corpus Christi. And again, Latin meaning the body of Christ. And we think of some of these great hymns, Tantum Ergo and O Salutaris Hostia, that uh, have come to us from St. Thomas Aquinas, composed for Corpus Christi. In fact, St. Thomas was asked to compose the entire divine office for Corpus Christi. But did you know that another saint was also asked to submit prayers for the office and, and, and hymns for this great feast? And that uh, other saint was a, a contemporary of St. Thomas Aquinas's. That was St. Bonaventure. And the story goes, legend has it, that you know St. Bonaventure and, and St. Thomas Aquinas went before Pope Urban IV to present their compositions. And for whatever reason, Thomas was going first. And upon hearing the beauty of the texts composed by St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure ripped up his manuscript. And, and when Pope Urban IV said, well, what do you have, Bonaventure? He said, I don't have anything that compares to that. Let's go with St. Thomas. It's an interesting story and a great lesson for us, you know, maybe not always seeking to have 
our material use, but to defer to what is best to praise God. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank Father Jeffrey Kirby for being with us on the show today by phone and Monsignor Morris for welcoming us out to the oratory to be with him for today's show. You are listening, well, you have been listening to Roadmap to Heaven for Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.